Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 288 of one of the kind of semi-dangerous podcasts in the world. This is uh, your host, Chad Dotson, with me again this week, the author of The Big 50. The men and moments that made the Cincinnati Reds, Chris Garber. How are you today, Chris? I am fantastic. Fantastic because there are only nine games left in the uh, Red season? Uh, maybe. It could be because I had a beer after dinner. Ah, that'll do it. Uh, that's also a, a common reaction to uh, watching the Reds. But we're not watching the Reds tonight. We're talking about them. And like I said, nine games left in the season. The Reds are uh, nine games under five hundred, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, as we speak. So if they make a, uh, a run here and win out... 500 year. That is fantastic. And everyone will call that good. <laughs> They'll say it was a really positive season. That's funny. It really would. That would change. How much would a win in these last nine games change the narrative around this team? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's one of these things, you know, we've been talking about this kind of feeling, uh, end of the year, kind of trying to sum up the season and see what it all means and, and how we feel about it. And, and, I think a lot of people just want to forget that they started out one and eight and they just want to snap a line there after that streak and say, well, they played pretty well after that. They played around 500 and they played over 500 for three months and, and that kind of thing. And I don't know, I guess if you want to think about it that way, then you, you don't get to count the, the nine and run they're about to go on either. That's true. And I've been as guilty of that as anyone because, you know, for the longest time, they kind of played like the 500 team that uh, most of us kind of expected them to be this year. But you're right. Those first nine games happened. And uh, these last nine games are going to happen. The Reds are not going to win all nine of them. And they're going to be below 500 uh, again for the 100th straight year. And it is what it is. We'll deal with it. There is something exciting going on right now around the Reds, though. How about this guy, Eugenio Suarez? You know this guy? I've heard of him. He's pretty good. You know, I made the comment. Of course, he hit his 48th home run, puts him one behind the major league lead, and uh, he broke all kinds of uh, records, um, so-called records, I guess. We'll talk about those in a moment. But I said the other night uh, when he hit that 48th home run, you know, I've been high on this guy for a while. He's an all-star. I love Eugenio Suarez, but I never once until maybe this week thought that he could ever challenge for the major league uh, home run crown. You know, I mean, I didn't see this coming, did you? No, gosh, no. I mean, he's he's not a big guy. He doesn't swing from his heels. He, you know, somebody pointed out the other day. Every year, he just kind of added about eight home runs to his to his career best. And over the last five years, he's just a little bit better every year. Yeah. Now he's at fourteen, I guess. But right. I mean, it's just uh, it's uh, it's kind of amazing, uh, frankly, how much he keeps uh, keeps improving in some ways, and certainly with the power, but. You know, uh, some people I saw want to discount uh, the number of homers he had because of the ball is juice or whatever. Okay, that's fine, but still, he's hitting more than everybody else, you know. So uh, he he has the National League record. I guess one more home run gets in the National League record for home runs by a third baseman by himself. And he's also uh, what, four now behind George Foster for the Reds organizational record. He already has the Reds record for third baseman, and he's uh, 52, of course, by George Foster in 77 is the, the franchise record. Did, did who's whose third base record did he break? I'd like to think it's Nick Asaski. It was not Nick Asaski. You you'll be surprised to learn it was Willie, Willie Green. Green. Yeah, it was, was Willie. it Willie? Oh gosh, really? <laughs> yes. I was going to make a joke. No, it wasn't. That Willie was my Green. second joke. Oh. <laughs> um, uh. 
I like the fact that we both came up with Willie Green at the same time. That's uh, yeah. quite impressive. A guy that I think both of us were high on at one time. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know, I kept hearing this other, these so-called records, you know, everything's a record. And you know, I don't want to minimize what Suarez has done this year, but, you know, whatever. But I kept hearing this one that uh, with that home run, he uh, broke Andres Galarraga's record for the most home runs in a season by a Venezuelan-born player. And I'm thinking, well, okay, I mean, that's that's a big deal, I guess. But it's kind of just a novelty. But then I saw how Suarez, how much it meant to him to, to break that record and to have have more home runs, you know, uh, in a season than any uh, Venezuelan-born player. And, uh, and the celebration after the game last night, and he's just a – just a great guy to, to listen to. And, and I, I enjoyed seeing his joy, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. I, I had this exact, exact same reaction. Like I was like, well, whatever. It feels like you're reaching for some kind of a weird record here, but it really meant, it means a lot to him. So uh, I'm super happy for him. Absolutely. So Eugenio Suarez is one of the positives from this year's season. There are probably some more positives, <laughs> I guess. Um, let's just briefly before we, we got a, a number of viewer mail questions and, you know, we're going to wait until maybe next week or the week after to really start diving hard into 2020 and, and what the Reds need to do and what's happening. But, uh, it's been a disappointing season mostly, but what, what to you, and maybe I'm putting you on the spot here has been the single and we'll eliminate Suarez, but of all the positives that you can take from the season, what's the, what's the most exciting to you? I think we probably agree with this one. Uh, I think Luis Castillo, right? I would say Castillo slash Sonny Gray. And Sonny Gray, yeah, yeah, I guess Sonny Gray. And yeah, because Sonny, you know, Castillo was like, we were hoping he'd be this good, and but you know, you're you're kind of with pitchers, you're always you're never quite sure. Sonny Gray, I didn't I did not expect I expected him to be better than he had been, but gosh, he's good, man. He's really good. Yeah, they, I mean, they really the number of uh, one two punches in baseball uh, starting rotations around the league that are better than the, the two the Reds have at the top of the rotation. It's a small list. I mean, it really is a short list. Uh, Castillo just, you know, what a year. He ended up winning, uh, well, I guess he still has another uh, star, but he's 15-6 and six with a 3.22 ERA this year. And Sonny Gray, you know, this is a sort of a novelty record in some ways as well, but he broke uh, Nolan Ryan's previous major league record by allowing six hits or fewer in 32 consecutive starts. So I yeah, well, I mean, everybody knew that was coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, you know, it was talk of... Everybody at the water cooler, at the of office, it's everywhere. Kind of, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it reminds all me. summer long. Is he going to break Nolan Ryan's record for most consecutive starts with six or fewer hits? Maybe around your workplace, it was like mine because it did remind me of the big uh, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire home run race. Uh, you know, everyone talking about it. So it, it kind of revitalized the sport, really. <laughs> it really did in a lot of ways. It brought it back from the brink. Um, but a two point eight ERA right now. For Sonny Gray, and and I'm like you, I thought he'd be good. I thought he'd be better than he had been. I don't know that anyone in your wildest dreams would have expected this. So, uh, to me, that's not only the biggest positive for this year, but it's also the, if you're looking for reasons to be optimistic about 2020, that's right at the top of the list as well, isn't it? Yeah, but um, I, it's really hard to count on him competing, repeating it, right? And it's. And you, I'm also looking in Castillo, Gray, and Disclafani have made every start. I think so. Yeah, hell, that's all right. Yeah, that's good luck, man. And and that's three rolls of the dice in a row that all came up pretty good for the Reds. And maybe they're super strong guys, and maybe they're training well and all that kind of stuff. But maybe they step on a nail coming out of spring training too. 
Yeah, I, I, I think certainly that's always with every single pitcher that's going to be in the mix. But I don't think that either. I mean, you know, is Sonny Gray going to repeat this? I don't know. You know, he's had such a kind of a mixed bag in his career. Um, Castillo, I don't see any reason Castillo can't even get can't get even better. That's year. true. I mean, I don't know that he will, and I'm not going to bet the ranch on it. But um, I like having those two guys at the top of the rotation better than having you know Scott Feldman and uh, Tim Adelman. So. <laughs> Agree. There you go. Say, finally, you agree with something that yeah. I said that's not controversial. Kevin Gausman. <laughs> Kevin Gausman. Yeah. What was that about? The Reds give him a start this week. I, I kind of think it's like when they when they let Sam LeCure do a game in the radio. It's just, why not? <laughs> There's about six guys they let do games on the radio. That other, I'm kind of like, why are, I, why are these guys in the booth? I don't want to go on a rant, but yeah. I mean, it's it's like fantasy camp they have up there. Oh, you, you played a couple games of relief for the Reds in the 90s. Well, sure, come on up. Marty can you know, Marty can carry you for a weekend. Right, right. And yeah. uh, you know, those guys they're trying, but it's a hard job and it's not really the place you let guys try out is the major leagues. Yeah, I mean, I think, if they want to do that, go down to Greenville or something. Right. We are uh we're kind of you know, uh, we've been blessed by having Marty make it look easy for all these years because, you know, you can argue about uh, whether you agree with what Marty says, and nobody agrees all the time with what things Marty says. But, man, he makes the just the call in the game. He's so smooth, he just makes it look easy. And you, you kind of notice it even more when they put the, the – not even the second string, it's like the tenth string in the booth. And I don't know why they do that so often. I've, I've come around on Jeff Brantley. He's uh, certainly gotten better and better and better over the years. But once he's not in there, it gets, uh, gets kind of ugly. Um. Yeah, Mar- Marty really does. That's where you see how good he is, is when he's carrying one of those guys. Uh, you know, he's it's like a pro wrestler, you know, getting the other guy over and making him look good, even if he doesn't have it that particular day. I've often compared Marty to a pro wrestler, so I'm glad you brought that up here on the uh, – Well, I, <laughs> that's a good point. I think I, somebody <laughs> today on Twitter had posted the picture of Marty and Joe with the, the macho man Randy Savage from the infamous 1989 game where they let him into the announcing booth. Right, right, right. And and Nuxall is a – he looks like he's about to wet himself. He's laughing so hard. <laughs> oh, those guys were the best. They, my favorite story of that was that uh, Marge shot son. It was her nephew. It was her, ne- was nephew. her, ne- her yeah. nephew. Okay, you're right. Yeah, not son. Right, your nephew. But they uh, they called uh, – Marge called uh, Marty and Joe into the uh, – owner's uh, office, I guess, after the game. And and it, her nephew, what, he said something like, I was about to come in there and you know pull the plug on that or whatever. And Marty said something like, yeah, if you'd have done that, he would have squashed you like a bug or something, you know. I, I, I believe the phrase was pinched your head off. There you go, exactly. And and I can imagine Marty saying that to uh, this guy yeah. that's there by virtue of his. Uh... That was a big season for Marty in the Reds. That's the year Pete was suspended and, you know, the Macho Man came to town. Yeah, two of the biggest moments in Cincinnati Reds franchise history. Uh, Suarez, another positive. Uh, I think uh, Aristides Aquino, you got to add him to that list. I mean, he's kind of come back to earth, but still winning the Player of the Month award in his very first month. What? A, what? Yeah. Go ahead. I, I like him, man. I mean, I uh, he, he's an athlete. He's a real athlete. And uh, he he's going to chase sliders away. I mean, he's, he's just going to do it, but... He's not going to do it all the time. And, you know, Todd Frazier is an example of a guy who has a pretty good career and never stopped chasing sliders away. True. So, you know, if you hit the ball hard in a long way, you can get away with that sometimes. Yeah, he may. Ne- he probably will never win the Player of the Month award in the National League. 
again in his career. But uh, then again, he may uh, just because of that crazy power. But I think, you know, I'm still of two minds on him, but I've seen enough to to be really intrigued because you're right. It's not just the, you know, he hits the long balls, but he hits a bunch of those. He does chase, but he's not, he has a bit of a clue at the play. What way better than I thought he would. Um, he lays off more pitches than I would have expected him to. And he's also, you mentioned very athletic, uh, defensively. I think he looks fantastic. I don't know what the metrics say, but just the eye test, uh, he looks fantastic. I think, you know, I would rather the Reds go out and get an all-star right fielder this off season. Um, I can squint, I guess, and uh, convince myself that Aquino can be that guy because I think he, if he plays full time, he'll hit. You know, he'll hit, he may hit forty home runs. Yeah, I think so. So, are there, are there any other uh, positives that you can think of? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so here's a guy who Philip Irvin's a guy who's a positive, right? He's a guy. No, that's He's definitely a, guy, a positive. Definitely a positive. You know, so and so, but the, but here's the question. So, somebody on Twitter the other day. Uh, a friend of ours said, you know, Philip Irvin has proven that he's an everyday player. And I don't know. I mean, he, I, I'm glad I didn't got to see that. Yeah. And I, I, I bit my tongue on it metaphorically, but he's, uh, you know, he's, he's got a 286 average, 344 on base and a 498 slugging. So that's a 112 OPS plus. And that's above average. Yeah. I don't, good. I don't know if that gets you a starting left field job on a good baseball team though. Oh, I, you know what I mean? I don't think it does. I don't think if that's what you've got in left field, I don't think you're going to be contending. Is I mean, is that your starting left fielder on any playoff team? I don't, I don't think, you know, we're talking about, um, he did have uh, eight tenths of a, a win above replacement this year, which, uh, brought his career total to <laughs> half a win above. Four. Yeah. Well, and that, you know, yeah, exactly. And part, part of that whole, all my deleted tweets that I, I typed up, I figured it out. It works out to, if you give him a full season, it's about 2.3 baseball reference okay. wins above replacement. And that's probably fair. That's yeah. probably a, a, an everyday player. I just don't know if it's good enough for the Reds, what they need, when they have other positions that also need to improve. Again, this, to me, though, when you when somebody makes a statement like that, it's kind of a false, uh, you know, I don't know why you have to go there because – he, you can say he is a perfectly acceptable platoon left fielder that just just let him hit against left-handed pitchers, and he will help the team. And I think that, the, you know, his splits this year show that that's going to, you know, that he has performed way better against left-handed pitchers. The Reds have another left fielder who cannot hit left-handed pitchers in Jesse Winker. I just I don't see any reason, you know, if, if you can't really upgrade. I'm okay with those two guys getting the bulk of the, the at-bats, but uh, I, I just can't see any reason. Philip Irvin has established himself as a legitimate major league player. I don't know why we have to go so far as to call him a starter. Well, and I guess here's the devil's advocate. He had a better year at the plate than Winker did. And then Joey Votto did. And Nixon Zell did. And Yasiel Puig did. And a lot of other guys. So I, I don't think that's necessarily praise for Irvin as much as a commentary on the rest of the roster. Well, I don't know that I would go so far as to say it, uh, maybe a tiny bit better than than Jesse Winker. Well, but I like Jesse Winker's season. Liter- literally a tiny bit. He's it's a one twelve OPS plus to a one eleven. So yeah, um, whatever you prefer. Right, right. And we're just talking uh, two hundred twenty four at bats. But I don't know. I like those two guys together. Two above average hitters. Neither one of which can play any defense at all, frankly. And so uh, 
you know, Winker can't run to catch a ball and Irvin can't throw it where he wants to throw it. It's just a, it, you don't, you put them together, you don't make a great left fielder, but I'm, no. I'm okay with them together. He, he I, did make a really nice throw on uh, Wednesday night that, um, for some reason, Alex Blandino couldn't lay a simple tag down on a guy who was out by 40 feet. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But that was a really nice throw. It was. You're right. You're right. I just – I feel like he gets exposed if he plays every day. If he gets 500 bats. So, But that doesn't mean he's not a legitimate major league player and a guy that's uh, a positive. He's established himself. Um, other positives? <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, I would add uh, Lorenzen in there. Only only in the sense that Lorenzen has shown that he has uh, – uh, uh, and I know you're anti-Lorenzen as a hitter. Uh, and, I yeah. don't, and I don't think he's as good as what people think he is. But I think he's established that he's a good enough hitter that you can use him creatively. Where, you know, he's not a good enough reliever to be really your shutdown closer. He's not a good enough hitter to be an everyday player or even a, you know, a primary player. But he's a good enough player to be a solid relief pitcher who can um, not just pinch hit – but he can play the field for you. He can pinch run. I mean, you can. He can be used. He, he's one of the most interesting players in the last twenty years in baseball for me, just because of the different things he can bring. None of which he's great at, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm in love with what he can bring to a roster. Yeah, I, 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 I'll give you all that. And I just uh, what where I stop, hard stop, is Michael Lorenzen starting in center field for the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, sure, that's crazy. I mean, I agree with that. But give me Lorenzen as a you know your uh, a guy that would be ordinarily the twenty fourth guy uh, on the bench if you're just he's just strictly an offensive guy who you're going to pinch hit and defensive replacement and pinch runner I think he helps the team oh yeah mm-hmm. and throwing the fact that he's you know a pretty good reliever too yeah so, yeah I'm with you I, I'm I just I, and I hope that what we've seen this September which is him playing a lot more often uh, I don't think there's much reason ever to start him in center field. Uh, with a healthy roster, but I think what we're hope, hopefully we're seeing a chance that he's going to can, can help the team in different ways. Yeah, I guess so. I just you know, if you imagine a team where Nick Senzel is playing center field, you don't need to take Nick Senzel out of the game late for any reason, right? And you don't want you don't want to do that. So I don't. It's kind of a nice thing to have, but I don't know that if you're if you're using it all the time, you're you have bigger problems. Yeah. I don't mind having a guy that's your uh, a pinch hitter off the bench though that can run into one. Yeah, you know, well, he can do that late in the game. And so I, I watched him take batting practice a few weeks ago, and I mean, he legit hit him just as far as everybody else. I mean, just bombs after bomb after bomb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's susceptible to uh, you know uh, swinging wildly occasionally, but I don't know. I like Lorenzen. You got any other positives out of the season? <laughs> it's hard to find. Uh, him. It's hard. You know, Disquafani didn't get hurt. I yeah, guess and had a, and had a pretty good year. He, cromulent. <laughs> it was uh, somewhat cromulent. Uh, uh, if you'd have told I'm, me he was going to have a one sixteen ERA plus and you know start thirty games, I'd sign me up for that any day. I mean, Di Scafani, you know, with all the injury concerns, he's always sort of tantalized us a little bit with his talent. Um, but that's the best number five starter in baseball, you know, or uh, if you, if if that's what you're depending on him to be. Yeah, and if you don't need more than five innings. Right, right. But, you know, you're not getting more than five innings out of, out of very many you know, number four, number five starters these days. Yeah, so. sure. Um, I don't know. Robert Stevenson, is that, a, is that a positive? Just the fact that he, you know, didn't embarrass himself and stuck with the team all year? The expectations game. <laughs> For this Robert former Stevenson. number one pick, yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I sure. It's fine. He didn't, you know, soil himself on the mound. <laughs> Wandy Peralta? Uh, not a positive. Not a positive. Jose Peraza, big time positive. Man, man, I am. I, I shouldn't talk about Jose Peraza because I'm not going to have anything nice to say. Well, sure, he's a nice guy. Hold on. He had two appearances on the mound and didn't give up a run. Well, that was fun. Yeah, that was. that's true. Oh, that was fun. Yeah, we were talking about hitting as well. Right. You don't think Peraza's uh, the second coming of uh, Michael Lorenzen? <laughs> not sure Peraza's <laughs> the second coming of Juan Castro. He's not that bad, surely. All do, right. I have to, do I have to be only be talking about nice things? Is that the deal? <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. No, we're, we got to be brutally honest here. Well, so since over the last three weeks or so, Josh Ann Meter's batting 129. With a two fourteen on base. Yeah, he's kind of dropped off the uh, face of the earth a little bit. And all of us who were ready to slot him in there at second base next year, that now looks like a definite hole, doesn't it? Well, hold, yes, but I'm not. I'm, I'm certainly not giving up on Josh Van Meter. I like what I see out of the guy. I mean, two thirty nine batting average, but three twenty six on base. I mean, you know, as a rookie, I don't know. I just I see. I agree that I'm not ready to just hand it to him. But yeah. There are reasons to be optimistic about his uh, potential to help the team. No, I agree. I, I just think I would – I guess I'm I'm more worried that with Josh Van Meter not grabbing that job outright, that we're going to see – Don't say it. A, we're going to see a couple of 29 going on 30-year-old uh, middle infielders re-signed and revisiting and we're going to see the likes of the the offensive hole the likes of which we've never seen before up the middle ever uh okay so let me propose this to you we go into opening day next year your starting starting middle infield on opening day is freddie galvis and jose iglesias do the reds have any chance whatsoever to make the playoffs zero I think zero with that middle infield. I mean, seriously, yeah. zero. The pitching is not going to be any better. The pitching will maybe be as good. It can't be any better. Yeah. And you, the offense cannot be good enough with throwing two spots away. <laughs> it really can't. And they, and they don't have, you know, they don't have a hitting catcher in the system either. So you don't get kind of that free, that free bonus of having a good hitting catcher. So what if they go out and, and get uh... – I, don't know, I guess in, in those circumstances, you get Grandall maybe at catcher, and then I don't know, Nick Castellanos uh, to play right field. That's not enough to make up for that glaring hole in the in the middle infield. I just, it's just not. I don't. You just you can't punt two positions. And both those guys have good gloves now. Don't let's not. Uh, sure, but, sure. Our heavy strikeout heavy uh, pitching staff will appreciate it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. There's a reason why these guys are, I, I've enjoyed watching their glove work, especially Iglesias all year long. My goodness. And, and Galvis has hit a bunch of home runs. What's he got? 22 home runs, uh, something like that, uh, this season. Not many of those for the Reds, but uh, five for the Reds. But there's a reason why those two guys are in the bottom, you know, three or four among major league shortstops in terms of not just wins above replacement, but uh, all the offensive stats. It's because, you know, it, the, the offensive environment we have now, great defense is, um, is it undervalued? I don't know, but it's not, uh, it's, 
there are a lot of guys producing more for their teams than those two guys. I don't know how to how to say it. They just say I, they've not been. Yeah, they, they've not been good. No, and, and I mean they've been good for them. I think I don't want to like criticize what they've done compared to what they could do, but I just think you need guys who are better offensive players yeah. at one or at least one of those positions. You know, Jose Iglesias was uh, almost exactly the player he was last year. His numbers are slightly worse actually than last year. And uh, he was not, uh, and, and Doug Gray was the latest to point this out at Red Lake Nation uh, just today or yesterday. He was not offered a major league contract five months ago. No one would give this guy a major league contract. And he had a year that was a little bit worse than his year, previous year. He's getting ready to turn 30. And, of course, Paul Doherty today in the Inquirer uh, said the Reds need to sign him to a four-year contract at whatever price uh, it takes. Yeah. That's beyond parody. There's a lot of that out there. But Iglesias did, uh, the point I was going to make is, yeah, tell me. Every time I mention him on Twitter, I get hammered. Um, but Iglesias performed exactly like I would have expected him to perform this year when I was pleased that the Reds signed him. I thought, that's a solid backup guy that, you know, yep. good glove, minor league deal. Man, that's a that's a good piece of business. I never expected him to get over 500 plate appearances, which is what he's going to end up with. And 16 walks. <laughs> Ooh, but 17 ground in a double plays. Ooh, really? I wonder if that's ever happened before. Um, I bet there's some way to find out. I, I love that everyone talks about But what about how great he is at getting hits on an 0-2 count? That is pretty good. <laughs> he's pretty good at it, but he's in more <laughs> 0-2 counts than anyone on earth. Oh, anyway, I love you, Jose Iglesias. I do think you can help the team. I wouldn't mind having Iglesias back, but he can't. either he can't be a starter or if he's a starter, then the Reds have signed Anthony Rendon and, and put him at second base. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, it's the only way I can see that working. So, so uh, five straight seasons for the Reds, uh, where they're at you know total of 124 games below 500, finished an average of 27 and a half games out of first. This year is going to be the first time they've not finished in last place. Uh, are are you as frustrated as I am by how much it's become obvious that the Reds bungled? the uh, beginning of this rebuilding process. We all always kind of knew it, but now it's just become very, very clear. I'm not that bothered by it. And I'll tell you why I don't watch that much baseball anymore. That isn't the reds. So I'm not, I don't have the Braves like rubbing it in my face all the time. <laughs> yeah. The Braves who may win hundred games may make it to the world series. Ugh. Who started their rebuild at the exact same time as the reds. Yeah. I don't know, you know, um, going back to Peraza, he's a uh, example of some, some of the mistakes they made early. And I like Peraza. I think he's a, you know, was a, taking a chance on him. I didn't have any problem with it, but he was emblematic of the fact that the Reds tried to go get guys who were supposedly major league ready or close to rather than getting actual blue chip prospects in some of these trades. And so they wasted some of their assets. But then again, they got a Eugenio Suarez for... Alfredo Simon. The bloated corpse of Alfredo Simon. Oh, boy. So, anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know. We're, we're about to stick a pin in this season. I'm not sure what else to say about them. We've kind of, you know, they, they were they were disappointing. They made pro some progress. They were better than they've been the last few years, but disappointing. So, it's uh, kind of a mixed bag, I guess, maybe. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go out on a limb there, Chris Garber. Let's answer some viewer mail questions. 
All right. Now, these, of course, are actual letters from actual viewers, as Chris likes to remind us. How do we know? If they if they weren't, we couldn't do this. See, actual letters. Outstanding. Um, we got a, a pretty good group tonight of uh, questions and not very many focused on the 2019 Reds. Some on the 2020 Reds, but some interesting ones. And uh, let's go ahead and dig into those. First group of uh, viewer mail questions we're going to get into come from Patreon.com. Patreon, of course. Uh, Patreon.com slash Radio. You can go to uh, support us if you want. And uh, one of the benefits is uh, yeah, we'll try to answer your your questions on the podcast. Now, before we get into uh, too much, I want to give a big thank you out to my guy, Jordan Salisbury. Jordan Salisbury is our newest uh, patron, newest, uh, the latest uh, guy to join our fun little group there at Patreon. Jordan, thank you so much. Appreciate you joining the group. Now, some the question we always ask when we get a new Patreon subscriber is this, Chris. I'm going to see if you can uh, see what your thoughts are. Jordan Salisbury, what position does he play? What does that name sound like? Jordan Salisbury. Uh, I think he's a relief pitcher. I think he's a backup quarterback. Yeah, I, I definitely was thinking he was in a sport other than baseball. But. Yeah, I don't, I don't see him. In, or Jordan could be basketball. Uh, I'm going to call him a shooting guard. I think that's what Jordan is. Jordan's a shooting. That sounds good. That yeah. sounds good. So, um, all right, Jordan, thank you so much. First question from Patreon comes from Joe Farsing. Joe asks, "Who's on your Reds all-time fun team?" And, and I said on Twitter earlier this week that to me, A. Eugenio Suarez is inner circle all-time fun guys for the Reds. But he says, who's on your Reds all-time fun team? The guys who may not be the best, but are just a joy to watch. And he suggests Votto, early BP, and Suarez are definites, as is Riho, right? And then asks, uh, you know, for other positions. So, all-time fun team. Hmm. Well, I think the first pick in that is the uh, 1981 Minnesota Twins left fielder Mark Fun did he, did he play for the Reds? Oh. <laughs> so, uh, I think Lawrence Graham... Funderburk. Remember Lawrence oh, Funderburk? Boy. That guy could play. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Uh, I think my pick's Billy Hamilton. <laughs> well, you're not joking, right? No, he's really, really fun to watch. Yes, absolutely. The things he could do that no one else could do was really fun. So we're going to put him in center field. Uh, Billy Hamilton, and you know I've loved Billy Hamilton because of those things, and also you know they interview that guy after the game, and he sounds like me on meth, you know, <laughs> with that helium anyway, <laughs> Mississippi accent, you know, but you know he runs ten times faster than me and talks ten times faster than me. Um, so okay, well, Suarez is your third baseman, right? Can you think of a more fun third baseman? Uh, no, that the Reds no. have had than Eugenio Suarez. The Reds have not had a lot of fun third baseman. No, Scott Rowland. Yeah, barrel laughs. Scott Rowland is the, I don't know, he, there's a meme there or something for him. He just seems like a guy that would never even smile. But the man, aforementioned Willie Green. Willie Green, yeah, that was not a good one. Uh, you know, uh, a guy that I loved, and I think you did as well when he was here, was uh, Edwin Encarnacion. Brandon Larson? Encarnacion. Oh. <laughs> Edwin Encarnacion, but I wouldn't say he was a barrel of laughs either. All right, no, so not, you know. we've got center field. Let's run through these as quick as we can, just who, off right. the top of our head. We have center field and third base now. Let's start at... Uh, Let's go around the diamond. We'll start at catcher. Fun catcher. I, you know, I, I wouldn't put Johnny Bench in that. I don't know that. Uh, uh, Javier Valentin. Ooh, Javier Valentin. Yeah, I think we're going to go with the Latin love machine, Javier Valentin. First base, Joe suggests Joey Votto. Uh, 
I do really, really, really enjoy Joey Votto and all his, all his forms. Yeah, I've been trying to think if there's someone else that I would put at first base over Joey Votto in terms of that. And the, no. the Joey Votto we've seen the last five years where he's kind of opened up a little bit and had fun with the fans and just been kind of goofy a little bit. Yeah, he's he's fun. Sean Casey's affable, but not that much fun. Oh, Sean Casey, I forgot about him. Well, look, if you want Benzinger, you can have him too. <laughs> well, why wouldn't we want Todd Benzinger? All right, so we'll go with Votto, um, but Sean Casey is probably your backup at first base there. Second base, Joe suggests uh, Brandon Phillips. Yeah, not for me. I can kind of see it, though. I mean, you know, he was a, a – again, he said early Brandon Phillips, but – Fair. There was a, You know, at that time, he was uh, he was a good player. He was uh, always smiling. A lot of that was for the cameras, I think, uh, which is fine, whatever. He's a, so, an entertainer. He's an entertainer, yeah. yeah. So uh, whatever, I, you know. Uh, but but who else? Who's your second baseman? Not not Ron Oster. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, I Bip Roberts. Ooh, Bip Roberts has a good claim on that. Bip Roberts. Yeah, uh, you know, I would put or Pokey I, Reese maybe. Yeah, maybe I thought of him. Um, what about D'Angelo Jimenez? No, <laughs> probably not. That was a hoot. <laughs> uh, I think I may give Bip Roberts a slight edge over BP. So that's who we'll go. Um, third base, we got Suarez shortstop. You know, that's a tough one. We also have some good shortstops. Any that you would, I, I don't think I would call Barry Larkin fun. No, I wouldn't. I he wouldn't was fun call to his, watch. I loved him. Yeah. Yeah. He was awesome, but I wouldn't, he wasn't like a make you laugh, make yeah. you smile kind of a guy. Paul Yanish. <laughs> no, no. Felipe Lopez. No, I, no. I mean, really who? Uh, I, I don't know. Concepcion maybe was fun back in yeah. the day. There's a fun story about him them throwing him in the dryer. He'd get no. crawling in the dryer because he was in a slump and wanted to get warm. And Perez, I think, turned it on. That I like fun. that that story. And and wasn't uh, was it Larry Boa that called him Elmer? <laughs> I don't know that story. This he said he kept calling him Elmer, and he's like, "Why are you calling me Elmer?" He's like, "Well, every time I look in the paper, it says E comma Concepcion." So just figured, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one. You should have put that in the Big 50, that anecdote. That would have been a good idea. Uh, yeah, I mean, I really – Jose Iglesias may have a claim to it. There's not a – It's you know, I mean, the stuff he does with his glove is fun. And he's – I don't know that fun, though, is the right word I would use. Royce Clayton? Clayton. <laughs> Royce – the immortal Royce Clayton. <laughs> I think we're going to have to go with Concepcion on that one. So, yeah, let's do it. All right, so uh, outfielders, we've got a center fielder. I think left field has got to be Dunner, right? Adam Dunn? Oh, that's a great one. Yes, for sure, 100%. I mean, I think he's inner circle to me. I mean, just uh, – No doubt. A delight. Yeah, we have another outfielder. doesn't have to necessarily be a right fielder, but any other, who, who's another outfielder that you would uh, – Kevin Mitchell or Dion? Uh, Kevin Mitchell's the one I thought of. Dion, yeah. What about Yasiel Puig? Yeah, that's pretty good. Let's I mean, go you know, he was here not very long, but he was fun. All right, we'll, a lot of fun. we'll go with Puig. Is there a pitcher? Brad um, Leslie. That's who I was thinking of, too. <laughs> the animal. I, I, yeah, I like that act. I, I like Amir Garrett a lot. Ooh, Amir Garrett. He's fun to watch. Yeah, that's certainly the current day one. I can't really think of anyone with a ton of personality. Uh, he, uh, Joe suggested Rio, Jose Rio. And, uh, you know, Jose Rio is the most underrated uh, pitcher in Reds history, probably, but uh, besides uh, Lisa Alberto. But... Uh, <laughs> Would you describe Jose Rio as fun? I don't think I would. No, not really. Um, no. I can't really think of anyone other than Garrett that I would actually use that 
Aaron Harang. <laughs> Bronson Arroyo was a lot of fun. Uh, there you go, Bronson. I think I'll probably go with Bronson. That's a good one, yeah. So all right, there you go. There's your starting uh there's your starting lineup from the Reds all time fun team. Well, I tell you what, we're answering the hard hitting questions here. We're addressing all the tough issues surrounding the Reds right now on this podcast. Kyle Kapler at uh, Patreon has a, a another question. This one is a little bit uh, more uh, on the on the on the nose when it comes to what's going on with the Reds right now. Would you trade Nick Senzel and more in a hypothetical Francisco Lindor trade? Why or why not? I would trade Nick Senzel, Jay Moore, and any player in the Red system for Francisco Lindor right now. Uh, well, I'm not any player. I'm not going to trade one of the pitchers. But did you say Jay Moore? Yeah, that's what he asked about, right? Senzel and Jay Moore. <laughs> oh, see, I see what you did there. Yeah. Uh, Jay Moore, most overrated Saturday Night Live. Uh, yeah, what do they call it? I, cast member in history. I mean, he was on there a short I, time, but that guy was he. Yeah, he was there a very feel, short time because he's not funny. Yeah, I feel like he was appropriately rated on Saturday Night Live. You think so? But I think, how did he get to Saturday Night Live? That guy is, you know, he's he's just not funny. Politics. I don't know. You know, there's that uh, the, that uh, picture that always, the meme that goes around. That's not funny uh, that you see sometimes. I think of Jay Moore. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, okay, seriously, Nick Senzel plus something else. Um Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think I, I I would trade Nick Senzel. You know, I don't I don't want to trade Nick Senzel. Love Nick Senzel, but I'm Nick willing Senzel's, to trade anyone. I love Nick Senzel a lot, but he's not going to grow up to be better than Francisco Lindor anyway. But we've only got two years of Francisco Lindor. Okay. In that trade, so you're still okay with that? Who knows what'll happen in two years? I may not even be here. Let's win. I, I'm getting to that point. Maybe it's because I'm aging some. Where I'm like, you know, whatever. Let's win. I'm tired of it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I could be on a rocket to Mars. Who knows? Yeah, I don't want another five-year process. So uh, I, I'm not enthusiastic about trading Senzel. But I think, uh, yes, if we're talking about getting Lindor, uh, he's, I wouldn't say that he's untouchable. There are very few. There, well, there's no one that I would say is untouchable in the right trade. Uh, you, know, you get Lindor here, maybe you sign him to a deal to keep him here longer. Lindor is a difference maker if there is for him. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talked about Rendon he's, earlier. Lindor's a Hall of Famer in the making right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's literally that good. So uh, while I think Senzel is going to be a mainstay and a really good good player for a long time in this Reds lineup if they hang on to him, uh, the chances that he's going to be Lindor are slim because there's not very been very many Lindors in the history of baseball. You know? Yeah. So, uh, so the answer is yes. Uh, we would, but I'm not happy about the idea of trading Nick Senzel. So and, and it's not going to happen. Nixon Hill's not getting traded. He's not getting traded this offseason, certainly because he had a, you know, a rookie year that wasn't, you know, award worthy. I guess is the way to put it. So I can't imagine the Reds trading him right this very second because uh, it's he's not. I don't know what what his value is on the hypothetical trade market, but I just I don't see it. And then he he helps uh you know fill a fill a hole in the in the roster next year. And there are other holes that need to be filled. All right, Hooper Powell asks, and this is kind of a repeat question, but I don't think I talked about it with you. Or Did, did you and I talk about this question? I don't remember. Yeah. I, I may have just been listening to it in the car and screaming out names. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you were on that podcast when we were talking about it. So um, I think it was Jason uh, Linden. Hooper asks, if there was a movie made of the Red Leg Nation podcast, who would it star? And, and I, don't, I don't, Hooper, I love you, buddy. Um, 
And Chris, you remember we met uh, Mr. Powell at, did. In, in Columbus. Definitely Billy Bob Thornton would play me. What? But who would play Jason and, and Mr. Lack, and would it go straight to Redbox? And I, and I led you in there as well. So do you agree with this Billy Bob Thornton? <laughs> well, uh, you know, Billy Bob Thornton has been cool. You know, I love Billy cool Bob Thornton. And, how about Billy Bob Thornton in Fargo? It's uh, kind of a twist on the Dotson persona. I don't know. I mean, I, he, he's from Arkansas, so he could do the he could do the accent, but he's like thirty years older than me. No, he's not that much older than me, but he's fifteen twenty at least, right? How old is he? <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton? I don't like it. I don't like it. Well, what, what did I suggest before? Jim Neighbors and somebody else, right? Um, yeah, Jim neighbors, he's dead. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so, okay. I, I know who I've already, and I said it last time we do this. So I'll say it again in a minute. Who's going to play me. But, uh, what do you think for the rest of this uh, casting? Who, who plays you? Um, I don't know. Pitt, Damon, <laughs> B. Arthur, Channing Tatum, somebody really, really sexy. Yeah. It's it's right. <laughs> yes. So I don't know. Ned Beatty. <laughs> Ned Beatty. Yeah, really. Uh, Bill Lack didn't appreciate uh, my suggestion of uh, Wilford Brimley to play him. There is absolutely no other choice. <laughs> I no, mean, none. No other choice. Wilford Brimley. I can hear uh, Bill saying, uh, hey, you got diabetes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jason, I don't remember even who I said, um, but I don't know. You got any thoughts for Jason? Bob Denver. Bob Denver. There we go. Uh, no. For me. TV, TV's Gilligan. TV's Gilligan, yes. Um, for me, there's only one choice, really. Uh, it's not Billy Bob Thornton. Um, it's not Ned Beatty. It's Billy Mel Crystal. It's not Billy Crystal. It's Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> Matt LaCron asks, who's the best player to ever wear number 16 for the Reds? Or number 16, Reds or others. Well, let's, let's limit this to the Reds. Um, who's the best player ever to wear number 16 for the Reds? Now, I've got... Uh, you probably have the list. I've got it pulled up here. Yeah, so I'll give you a chance to pull that up if you want to. But uh, it's not uh, Damon Phillips who wore it in 1942. It's not uh, Benny Ziantara. Benny Ziantara wore it 46 through 48. Uh, Johnny Temple wore it for eight years in the 50s. Johnny Temple was a good player. Uh, here's a guy you you may agree with, Leo Cardenas, 61 to 68. Jimmy Stewart, 69 to 71. You know, so that was, I mean, that was post, uh, you know, movie career, Jimmy Stewart. Maybe it was uh, <laughs> at, at the end of his uh, Hitchcock era, but um, a guy we mentioned earlier, Ron Oster. That's the first guy that came to my mind was Ron Oster. Um, well, Brandon Larson, second mention of Brandon, Brandon Larson. Larson. Yep. Joe Randa, 05. Uh, great memories. Uh, great memories. Todd Hollinsworth. Edgar Renteria. That and, happened. And currently, Tucker Barnhart. And I've left out the guy that I think is the best player to wear number 16. Yeah, clearly. Clearly the one we never – people forget that people don't give his due. Number 16, Reggie Sanders. Yeah, it's clearly Reggie Sanders. Uh, this guy should already be in the Reds Hall of Fame. And it's just kind of outrageous. And also, I gotta say it, friend of the podcast, Reggie Sanders, who who did appear on the podcast. I thought you might go for Benny Fry, nineteen thirty-two. Well, close. Hub Walker. Man, I never heard of these guys. I mean, I've heard of Hub Walker, but some of these guys are Larry Benton. 
Steve Mesner. Seems fake. Yeah, I don't think I think names that Doug Gray made up. Okay, so there you go. It's clearly clearly Reggie Sanders. Um, I think you know I'm 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 partial to Tucker Barnhart. He's carving out a career at number sixteen. That's going to be uh, you know remembered in in Reds history. But it's, he's probably not a Reds Hall of Famer. So Reggie Sanders is the only one that should be a Reds Hall of Famer. Now Dwight Kelly asks. Hash Brown viewer mail. So how did you establish a connection with Marty, Marty Brenneman, to supply the forward of the Big 50, the men and moments that made the Cincinnati Reds? Have you read that book, Chris? Uh, skimmed it. Yeah. I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for the comic version to come out. <laughs> it's, very, it's very good. It, this is not really a, that fun of a story, but, you know, whatever. Um, I'll say it, and if you have anything to add, you can. Um, reached out to uh, our friend uh, Lisa Braun, who works with the Reds and uh, who has been good to me over the years, and she – got us with Amanda and that got us with Marty and that, that was that basically. So it was uh, just reaching out to uh, a friend who knew a friend who got us with Marty and it didn't hurt that, you know, Chris Welsh said some good things about us, I think. And, um, or, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's not really that fun of a story, but uh, to me, having Marty with that forward, that was a special thing for me uh, with the book. So anything you have to add to that? No, I think it's, that's it. Yeah, we're really it really was a pretty great part of the experience, and we will always appreciate that. You know, I like Marty. I like Marty. <laughs> Marty is uh, is really good at his job in in most ways. And let me say what uh, about Marty. And I'm I'm only speaking about Marty and not about anyone else named Brenneman. Just Marty. What I like about Marty is he is what is he like ninety two years old now. He's no longer a what do you call a poofy haired fancy boy or whatever. Um, but this guy prepares. Now, I don't always agree with what his conclusions about players and about, you know, whatever, but he is prepared every day for the broadcast. Do you agree with that? Man, that guy works. He's a complete pro. He's a pro. He's ready to go every day, and he knows the players on the opposing team. He knows who's good in the league, and he pays attention to what he's watching. Yeah, yeah. We may disagree with his analysis, but he's absolutely prepared. So that's my uh, that's my praise of Marty. At, even at this, after forty six years in the booth, he's still extremely prepared. That's what I always loved about Vince Scully. Vince Scully, man, that guy. No one prepared like Vince Scully in the history of ba- baseball announcing, probably. No, that's true. But I, but Vince Scully had help. Uh, like he point. had a he had a guy who would basically put put material together and you know scully mastered it and figured out how to tell the stories and when to tell the stories but he did have a guy my understanding that did his research for him or some of it anyway and to my knowledge marty doesn't have any kind of kind of outside help gathering up facts and anecdotes and and interesting takes that you know reveal during the game yeah yeah so marty we'll probably talk more about you since your career is coming to an end but uh thank you for participating in our and our book uh, project, and thank you for 46 years. My goodness. Um, Nathan Connor. This is an interesting one, and there's only one answer as far as I'm concerned, but I'll, we'll see if you have a different thought. Ken Rosenthal wrote an article on the Tampa Bay Rays for The Athletic today. He states that their active roster has four undrafted free agents, nine pickups that were DFA, designated for assignment by other teams, 10 players drafted after round 10 of the draft. Why can't the Reds do that? 
Seems like our roster construction relies too heavily on hitting with the first-rounders, getting lucky on trades with dumb GMs, parentheses Castillo trade, and, parentheses, fingers crossed, free agency. Well, the Reds have not relied on free agency in recent, or ever, um, frankly. But, uh, yeah, but fingers crossed, right, we're hoping, uh, Nathan, this year. So why can't the Reds do what the Tampa Bay Rays have done? My my thought are my thoughts are let's be let's be clear here. I like the guys that are running the Reds right now, but there has never been a time over the last ten fifteen years where the Reds have had a had more talent in the front office than the Tampa Bay Rays have had. Is that fair? I don't know. I I, I mean I think, but I I don't know how they're doing this, man. I mean. It's. I don't think it's quite so simple as they just found a bunch of guys who, who weren't any good and and developed them into being good. I think they've kind of, maybe they're better at finding people. Maybe they're better at developing. Maybe they're just super lucky. And I don't, I don't know to defend the Reds front office or just everybody else. I mean, if it was this easy, everybody or at least somebody else would be doing it. You know what I mean? Like they're literally the only team that I can ever think of that's built that way that's had success. So. It's like making the whole plane out of the black box. It's like, I don't know. It's, if, it's, if it's that easy, somebody else would do it. Yeah, I don't think we're disagreeing. I don't think it's a necessarily a criticism. That's why I prefaced it by saying I like the guys that are on the Reds currently. I don't think it's necessarily a criticism of the Reds. I just think Tampa Bay has done things a different way and have been highly successful. I mean, you look at back since, you know, what, since 2008, you know, I, I, their record is right up against everyone. There's been a... a few years in there where they've not been in the mix, but they've been first, second, you know, third. They've been in the mix pretty much uh, every single year other than uh, two or three. And, you know, only been to one uh, World Series, which they lost. Only been to one World Series since 08. I, I literally just said that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, but no, they, they did have a down cycle, though. I mean, they went five, four years in a row where they're under 500. Not a ton under. That's the thing they didn't do. They didn't really bottom out. Right. They just kind of stayed in that, you know, 75 to 80 wins area. But, but the roster yeah. construction that we just, uh, you know, just discussed uh, in terms of uh, Nathan's question, that's the current team. They won 90 games last year. Uh, didn't make the playoffs, but they won 90 games. <laughs> that seems impossibly uh, optimistic to think of the Reds actually winning 90 games ever. And then this year, you know, they're over 90 again. So, yeah, um, and they're in a tough division, right? They're, so. they're in a tough division, but they've got they have they don't spend any money, uh, and they're figuring out a way to do it. So, I, to me, it's just that the reason the Reds can't do it is that other teams haven't done it either. But the long and the short of it is, Tampa Bay's got a bit. They have been ahead of the curve in terms of uh, sort of advanced thinking, and the Reds are just now reaching the curve. Is the best way that I can think of to put it. Yep. All right, one more question from patreon.com slash redlegradio. Rich Thompson, and I'm glad you're on here today because uh, Rich asked a question. Uh, you recently did a segment on some of the more unremarkable or least memorable Reds from the late 80s to the early 2000s. First of all, he's referencing the uh, Patreon-exclusive episode that you and I did, Chris, and I would not say that they're unremarkable or not memorable. I think these are some of the – we called them obscure former Reds, but uh, that was that was as much fun as I've had in an hour. We had a lot of remarks anyway. <laughs> they were certainly remarkable. Uh, Rich says, I would like to revisit that topic, but refine it to the more unremarkable or least memorable Reds catchers era. Between Johnny Mitch's retirement and Joe Oliver securing the starting catching position with the Reds in 1990, 
I am torn between Don Werner and Brad Golden. <laughs> this is why I love Red Leg Nation Radio, man. This is the things Great. we talk about. Uh, awful this catchers in the happy. 80s. Yeah. So who'd you pick and why? Or is there another more unremarkable or least memorable Reds catcher to choose from that era? Well, I mean, I think I started the conversation about this talking about Alan Nicely. <laughs> I, I figured you would bring him back up. So, uh, you know, there's Alan Nicely. I, of course, am a big fan of Dan Bellardello, spelled Thank you. with two, two N's. That's the guy that I was going to bring up because we didn't mention him, I don't think, in the obscure. Someone pointed no, out to me, we I, didn't even mention him in our obscure former Reds, and he's like the classic obscure yeah. former Red. Yeah. Uh, you know, Trevino, Alex Trevino is another guy from that time who was supposed who. Again, I think we talked about this. I believed whatever was in the preseason media guide, and they're like, Alex Trevino is going to be really good. Yeah. And he, he wasn't really good. But uh, that's another one. Steve Christmas. Steve Christmas. Um, what about uh, – and Nathan Connor mentioned him at Patreon. What about uh, our guy Dave Van Gorder? Ah, oh, man. that's the, To me, that's the trio, really. Van Gorder <laughs> – Van, or maybe the Trinity, <laughs> the Holy Trinity. Let's say the Holy Trinity of Reds '80s catchers. Van Van Gorder, Bill Ardello, and Golden were the three guys. Alex Trevino who, can't make it into that. No, he, I mean they, they 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 rightfully cut bait on Alex Trevino pretty quickly <laughs> yeah, yeah. and just started cycling through journeymen. <laughs> uh, Rich, good question, but here's the what you you've created here is we're probably going to do a full. Uh, full podcast at some point on just Reds catchers of the eighties. There was one good one after, uh, after bench. Bo Diaz. Bo Diaz, the immortal Bo Diaz. Well, let, let me take this opportunity then to shoehorn in a footnote that I placed in this podcast about a half an hour ago and bring up Bo Diaz again, please. Because we were talking about the fact that Jose Iglesias has 17, has grounded into 17 double plays while only walking 16 times. And how remarkable that is. And I did a little bit of research, and it's it's hard to get an exact answer here, but there haven't been that many guys on the Reds who have played a full season and grounded into more double plays than they did walk. But Ernie Lombardi is the first and second on that list, as you probably would have guessed if you thought about it long enough. Yeah, absolutely. Tommy Helms managed to do it in 1969 grounded into 20 double plays while walking only 18 times. <laughs> that was quite that's a year for Tommy to do. Yeah. Tommy got 509 plate appearances and had one triple one home run, 18 doubles. Helms a long time red, but remembered by me mostly because he was the interim manager after Pete Rose got, that's right. Got canned. Remember in a starter jacket and some graying hair, <laughs> uh, Brandon Phillips almost did it. In 2016, he grounded into 17 double plays and walked 18 times. That was the guy I was going to guess. That dude, yeah. that dude DP. That dude. Uh, Iglesias, of course, is, has it achieved right now. But Bo Diaz is on the list. In 1988, Bo Diaz grounded into 16 double plays in only 92 games and walked seven times. Oh, wow. That's, I mean, that's That takes some work. That's hard to do. Yep. Now, he was 35, and he was a catcher, and uh, obviously he put the ball in play all the time. But, uh, yeah, Bo might have the the, uh, the worst ratio of double plays to walks in Reds history. 
Again, another topic that delights me that we get to address. This is what it's like at the end of the season during the offseason here at Red Leg Nation Radio. All right. Bo Diaz, rest in peace. A uh, few more viewer mail questions here. We're going to go over to twitter.com slash redlegradio. You can follow us on Twitter at redlegradio. I don't know why you would, but you can. And here are some questions that we received. Hashtag viewer mail. WV Redlegs at WV Meat Slinger. What do you think about that handle? He's a butcher, I guess. I, you know, I tried to get at WV Meat Slinger when I signed up for Twitter a long time ago. It was already taken. <laughs> do you think the rebuild was botched because they didn't fully commit to it? Remember Walt calling it a reboot? I think that played into it some. Yeah, that's what I said earlier. I think absolutely that was, uh, first of all, I don't know that botched is the right word. But I think they really didn't commit, uh, full, didn't fully commit to it, as as he says, is true. And I think they just, uh, I don't know, kind of delayed uh, any success because they didn't really fully go all in. What do you think? Agree, agree. But they did have an All Star game. <laughs> they did have an All Star game, and that was a lot of fun. Remember that home run derby? Oh man, I don't know. It would have been so much different if Todd Frazier had done that in a Mets uniform. Exactly. Um. You have a chapter in your book about that the home run derby. I wrote that chapter very carefully and cautiously using all of my personal recollections. Yes, it was so good. Uh, Vander at Vander1017 asks, and I'm going to ask this one because I, I am going to, I'm going to try to answer it. What is the single strangest thing someone has said or done while you've been sitting on the bench as a judge? I presume he's directing this question to you. I, uh, <laughs> You, you did say that you have some recollections about sitting on the bench. I was sitting on the bench in high school basketball. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got some of those recollections as well. Um, the single strangest thing someone has said or done while you've been sitting on the bench as a judge. I, I do have something that I, I feel like I can, can say here. Uh, years ago, I, I, I was you know first on the bench, and, and early in my career, I've been, I'm in a different uh, court now, but I was in uh, uh, a lower court here. And we were doing some kind of, I don't even remember what type of case it was, but I made a ruling that there was this uh, eccentric, uh, I don't know, 78-year-old lady that was charged with something insignificant. And she, we had a full courtroom one day. It's what we call, it's when the, in Virginia, civilians can go swear out complaints on anything and charge somebody with criminal acts if the magistrate buys that there's probable cause. I had this day in that court where uh, we, we call it civilian complaint day. There were other... Uh, more humorous and uh, names for it and less. Uh, I can't say I'm on the podcast, but anyway, uh, full courtroom. Is this, is this like citizens arrest Barney Fife type thing? <laughs> Pretty much citizens arrest. Um, great episode of uh, of Andy Griffith. Kudos to Chris Garber for bringing that one up. So anyway, yeah, essentially, I mean, you can go to the magistrate in Virginia and you can swear out a complaint, a criminal complaint. So, and if there's probable cause, uh, a person gets charged. So. We're having that day, and I find uh, this person not guilty of whatever. Um, they were, I don't even remember what this lady was charged with. She was she was an old, older lady. She was, I mean, she was hardcore. Like she lived up in the mountains, and she didn't come into town for very much, I guess. And a really nice lady, but uh, you know, anyway. So she walks out of the courtroom, and she gets to the back of the courtroom, gets to the door, and but just before she goes out, and again, keep in mind it's a full courtroom. She turns, and I'm already doing the next case. She turns and yells, Judge, I sure do like you. I'm going to bring you a watermelon one day. (laughs) 
and and then just walked out. And I had sent my bailiff out to get her and bring her back, and so that I could say to to her in front of the full courtroom, "You can't bring me a watermelon. I can't accept. You know, I can't accept anything. You know, uh, <laughs> I wanted to make sure everyone in the room heard me saying to her, "No, do not do that. I cannot accept anything. You know, I, you know, my, my rulings are based on that. So anyway, that was soli- you weren't soliciting a uh, fruit <laughs> gratuity. Right. No, absolutely not. Um, although she evidently had a pretty good farm there where she lived and uh, could have probably provided a pretty good watermelon. So Just pay the market price and, and it'll all be okay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, next of your mail question from Mary Beth Ellis at Blonde Champagne. Could we please have some clarification on where Kyle Schwarber is from? Local media is silent on this. <laughs> I'll let you handle that one. Well, look, you know, we've talked and, and fairly praised some announcers for their preparation and for the attention to detail and the mastery of the information that they can bring to the viewing audience. So I think it's only fair to recognize when someone has been able to tell Red's like Red Leg Nation just as much information about Kyle Schwarber's high school career as we could possibly ever want. <laughs> and then tell us again and again and again. And again, Kyle Schwarber is from Middletown, Ohio, as we've heard a million times on the television my, broadcast. My 11-year-old son is a Cubs fan, and uh, oh, I've talked no. about this before. Oh, no. I, just, I wish you wouldn't bring that up. That and, really, well, so he's he a was, great he, kid, but come on. He was watching the game last night because the Cubs were playing. Yeah, they lost to the and, Reds. Yeah, and he was uh, just kind of doing his homework and listening to the game, and he looks at me and he's like, does that guy talk about where everybody went to high school or just Schwarber? <laughs> so he noticed it. He noticed it. <laughs> I mean, he's a sharp kid, but that's uh that's a, yeah. an example of when you don't do a whole lot of preparation and you have this one, one factoid, you know, and you keep repeating it. There you go. A couple more and then we'll get out. Uh, Jordan Biddle at JBids 37 asks, if by next season the Reds have the same team as they do now, what do we do? I'm not 100% sure if I trust the front office to get the job done. If we are buying players and still not making the playoffs, I consider that as a failed rebuild. What do you think? It's actually several questions. Uh, you want to take it? You mean to go ahead and uh, uh, go ahead and start? There are, there's a lot to unpack there. There is, yeah. So first of all, the first question is: If by next season the Reds have the same teams they do now, what do we do? First of all, if the Reds have the same team next year on opening day as they have now, or a, a substantially similar team. I'm out, man. It's not a team that's going to win. I mean, yeah, not uh, interested. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They're not going quote unquote all in. They're not even going half in. I mean, you know. So, um, next thing is, I'm not. A, you anything you have to say about that particular question? We'll take it one by nope. one. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure if I trust the front office to get the job done. He says 100. percent I don't know that I would put that uh, number on it, but I do like the current group, and we've seen enough things in the last 12 months that have changed to make me think they at least have some clue. Is that fair? fair do you do you trust them to get the job done though i don't know i mean it's trust is a weird word to use there because it's not like i have any say in it you know what i mean what if i say no do i get a fire room and pick somebody else i i'm along for the ride i don't know i guess yeah Uh, or maybe you'll get on a ride with some other team in some other sport you know if uh they don't do it so you and i have talked about on here uh, it's a point you've made which is that you know it's it's entertainment. It's you know why you wouldn't keep going to a same pizza place that keeps serving you bad pizza. 
So why, no. would, you, why would you stick with this? Now, if, if we're buying players and still not making the playoffs, I consider that as a failed rebuild. Let me reframe that just a little bit for you, Chris, and see what you think. If the Reds next season, they don't, I don't think they necessarily have to make the playoffs necessarily, but if they are not in the mix for the play, like a serious contender for the playoffs in September next year, would you call that a failed rebuild? I would. I, I, I don't know. what. What's another way of saying it? They need to win 88 games. They need to win 90 games. I think that's where we're talking. They've got to be, yeah, in that around 90, I think. Yeah. They, I, they, if, I don't, if they miss out on the playoffs because they played real well and whatever, if they miss out on the playoffs barely, I'm cool. Yeah, right. Yeah, if, if, if we're at this point in the season and they're where the Cubs, Cardinals, and Brewers are right now, Within three games, even if they flush it at the end, it'll be disappointing, but that will be the kind of improvement I wanted to see. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the Reds have won 90 games, what, four or five times since the World Series winning team. So, and they only won 91 in the World Series a year, wire to wire year. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if they don't make the playoffs, I'm not necessarily going to say that's a failed, uh, a failed uh, rebuild. Although you can say, uh, delayed rebuild or whatever, however you want to characterize it. But if they don't are not in the mix, yeah, it's absolutely a failure. I mean, cause we're, we're in season six at that point. Yeah. Oh, sad, sad. Uh, but uh, let me ask you this question that's not asked by Jordan, but which uh, we're going to be talking about more over the next uh, few weeks, but is there a path to the, for the rest to get to 90 wins this off season? Well, Sure. I, you know, if it's realistic or if they can pull it off, but I guess that's my question. Is it realistic? Multiple paths. There's multiple paths. Yeah. I, oh, well, David Moore asks, and this is a question that we really can't answer, but I'm going to go ahead anyway, because David took the time to ask it. Derek Johnson was hired at the end of October. Yasiel Puig was traded for Homer Bailey. That wasn't exactly a straight up trade, but yeah, at the end of December, has there been anything said about what Derek Johnson thought of Homer? Or about his future, just curious to see if the front office had already decided or if Johnson had a say. Well, I'm sure Johnson had a say, but no, I, I don't know of anything that's been said about uh, about Homer Bailey uh, by Derek Johnson or the Reds front office. I'm, I'm sure you don't either, right? No, I, I think that Homer Bailey's time as a Red was over. They, he was absolutely positively going to be gone unless, you know, Unless Derek Johnson had a relationship with him like you have with Sonny Gray, there was no way, Derek Johnson or not, that Homer Bailey was coming back this year. And you're right. You're right. He was 1-14 with a ERA needed, over six last year. He needed, he needed a change of pace. Yeah. And he's not been great, but he's been a kind of an average pitcher this year. It's kind of been, it's been a bounce-back season for him, and I'm happy for the guy. I don't have any issues with him. Um, But, you know, you look at his numbers this year, and he's been – He's been okay, uh, almost exactly, almost exactly an average, league average pitcher, and I don't think anyone would have expected that after his uh, at last couple seasons with the Reds. Well, so. you you want to think about something completely mind blowing and terrifying? I always want to think about something like that. This is his third best season in terms of ERA plus. How's that possible? Of his entire career. I just, I just pulled it up. You're right. That is absolutely staggering. He happened to get the other two at exactly the right time to cash in, but wow. Well, those two were his 26 and 28, 26, 27 seasons. 
So it's and he'd been healthy up to that point. You know, he just came off thirty three, thirty two starts. Um, just, but you're right. Just third best season at ERA is third best season and wins above replacement. That is unbelievable. <laughs> that to me puts his career in Cincinnati in just a whole different light. A little bit different light, yeah. So, oh well. Second best in uh, in WHIP. <laughs> is that true? Oh my goodness! Uh, his Oakland time. I take that back. He, oh, uh, the season, the season as a whole, ranks about fourth. Oh, and that's the Homer Bailey Radio Show. And that's the Homer. And you know what? Got a chance of uh, pitching in the playoffs this year. Homer Bailey, Tanner Rourke, gonna maybe pitch in the playoffs this year. All right, that's Red Leg Nation Radio, episode number two hundred eighty-eight. As always with Chris, it turned into a downer at the end. But happy uh, to be here. <laughs> Uh, you all know where to subscribe, wherever you find podcasts. Uh, you can find us on, he's at C Garber 8, I'm at Dawson C, uh, at Red Leg Radio. Go to redlegnation.com, whatever. You know all the, all the things I say. Uh, Chris, any final thoughts here? Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> you choose not to uh, make any <laughs> thoughts. I like that. For Chris Garber and, uh, let's say, Dan Bilardello, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.